Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. My name's Robert, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really good to be with you this afternoon. Um, and if we can go ahead and pray just before we get started. Is that cool, guys? Good? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercy that has been brand new to us this morning. And... Um, Thank you that it doesn't run out the moment we access it, but it continues throughout the day. And many of us need your mercy, Lord, minute by minute. And we're grateful that you shower shower us with it. Thank you that the scripture says your mercies, not only are they new every morning, but they endure for a thousand generations to those that fear you, to those that love you. And even in that we see your mercy because your judgment only ex- extends to, to four generations. You're so good, Lord, and we just want to recognize that and appreciate you for your goodness this afternoon. So with that in mind, Father, would you please assist us that is in speaking and listening this afternoon with regards to your word, your eternal word, your word that has the ability to transform our lives forever. And it's for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, okay so our topic today, I think as, as may have already been mentioned, we are over the next few weeks, for about the next five weeks, going to be just having topical messages. We're not going to dive into a particular book or study for the moment. So for the next five or so weeks, we're going to be having different studies by different people, um, just sharing whatever the Lord puts on, on our hearts over the next few, few weeks. And I get to kick things off. I say kick things off, I think probably the, the week before. Was it the first? I got to share on the first. You're going to hear some of the stuff that I shared on the first of January come through today, and particularly some of the stuff that I shared last week. And, and so the topic is, where are you? And we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. Now this is a bit of a mad message because really it's the second part in a series, a series that I've not finished. And uh, it's a bit like Star Wars. You know, Star Wars, it starts with Luke Skywalker as an adult. And then they go three or four films in and then they're like, oh... I don't know if they ran out of, is it Lucas? I don't know if he ran out of, of, of ideas and then he thought, oh, let's go back. And they, and they go back, right? And, but the next film, like the fourth or the fifth one, is, is really when Luke was younger. So this message is a bit like that. Because we're going to jump in and you're going to be like, mm, it's, it feels like we should have done something before this. But um, this is something that we are going to come back to, I'm sure, over and over again. So I, I, I trust that the Lord's going to give me the opportunity, if not me, one of the other pastors, to do what needs to come before this. And it will make sense in a minute. 
So Genesis 3, verse 1 to 13. I'm sure we're not going to get through all of the verses, but let's read starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, as I mentioned last week, we thought that we were quite clever when we named our men's conference a few years ago, Adam, where are you? <laughs> then we found out that preachers have used that, that title hundreds of times. And I'm going to do something I've done last week with a bit more clarity this time. Can I ask you if you're female to put your hand up, please? Okay, thank you. And if you're male, could you please put your hand up? I did this last week and someone said, oh, I thought you were going to do something really exciting. Put your hands down, fellas. <laughs> and I didn't. Well, ladies, those of you that put your hands up, you're Eve. And fellas, you who put your hand up, well, whether you put your hand up or not, you're Adam. Now, that's our first point of application. See, the message ain't even started and we've already begun to apply it to our lives, all right? <laughs> Amen. Now, this story is not just about two naked people in a garden, as, as exciting as that sounds, right? This is about us as men and you as women. And this, is, this, is, this goes right across the age category, right, from, right from, from babies to pensioners. I mean, from, from, from buggy to skinny and baggy to geriatric and saggy, this is everybody. Genesis is where we are. And Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? It's, it's the book that is referred to with great regard as to origins. 
Some say this is where we find the origins for original sin. It's actually where we find the origin of human sin. Original sin started with who? Lucifer in heaven. And there are references to, to that in Ezekiel 28, verse 11 to 19, and Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 17. But human sin, Genesis. And, you know, the Lord Jesus in the New Testament refers to this book on numerous occasions. And so did most of the New Testament writers who talked about the creation of the world. And they talked about Cain and, and his rejected offering. It talks about Abel and his blood and the fact that it cried out from the ground. And Noah and the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. All of these and many more mentioned in the New Testament referring back to this book of beginnings. Genesis. And <clears throat> with regards to this book. And I would say the, the, your understanding of the, the rest of the Bible, your understanding will be incomplete if you're not familiar with this book. And it's a bit like watching a film, right? If you don't see the beginning of the film, you're not really going to understand the plot. Now, now, a few of you have heard me say that a number of times. I'm a man, I can't watch a film halfway through. I despise that. No matter how good and how, how much action, I walk out the room. Because I'm a man, I like to see it from the beginning. I, I like to get the juice. I like to get the full, you know what I'm saying, experience. The first five minutes of any film is always vital. And you know, let's say the first portion of the Bible, if you don't get it, then you're not going to get the full experience. So pay attention to the script, pay attention to the plot, pay attention to the narrative, pay attention to your Bible. Because, because this book has the ability to change your life. Now that's a big statement, right? I mean, I say it on the basis of personal testimony, and I'm sure that many of you can also do the same. And I say it again, this book has the ability to change your life, or at least... The God of this book, working by the Spirit, through this book, can change our lives. Now, <clears throat> what, is, what, is one of the, what is one of the hottest top ten topics of all time? Ancient, medieval, and current, modern. What would you say is one of the biggest topics? I would suggest, before you get a chance to answer, relationships. Relationships. That's why, I mean, I asked a question on the first, but that's why people watch Big Brother, right? And the only way is Essex, right? Because they're nosy and they want to know about people's relationships, right? And the, and the more random, the better. Have you heard about what MTV are doing? They're bringing out a new one. Because it's so popular. And they're going up north. This Essex is down south. They're going up north, right? They're going up to Geordie land. And they've got a new one coming out. It's called Geordie Shore. Yeah, you know, hear about that one? All right, then. Relationships. 
There's something about the topic of relationships. Wamsha well, Shabazz, welcome back, brother. There's something about the topic of relationships that never gets boring. A lie? Whether observationally or experientially. It's the hottest topic in magazines and TV. Jeremy Kyle is one of the worst, but one of the most popular shows on UK TV. Yet, without men and women in quote-unquote relationships, there would be no show. See, it's, it's what men and women most talk about, don't it? It's what men and women mostly think about. Is that not true? And when it comes to relationships, this is the book to go back to. Because this is the blueprint. There's just been a wedding in chapter 2. And we have two humans doing that which God determined. Which is what you don't see happen very often today. And if people do obey God and get married, they don't stay married for long. I mean, I've I got, I got a bag of statistics that I really love to show you. But I'm going to have to leave it till next time. I'm sure you're, you would agree with me to some, to some degree that that is true. You know, they're saying that marriage now, or the divorce rate is higher now in the church than it's actually in the world. But here we see two people getting married. And typically whenever that happens, that is when people are obeying God... Guess what happens? The devil shows up. And here he is in the first verse. Verse 1, now the serpent. Now we know that this is the devil because of Revelation chapter 12 verse 9, right? It says, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient, what? Serpent, who is called, what? The devil and Satan, the deceiver... Of Christians, Muslims, and Catholics. It doesn't say that, does it? See? It says the whole world. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He's crafty. He's subtle. He's sneaky. Scheming. Snake-like. Shifty. Slithery. He's slippery. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 talks about his tactics, his schemes, his designs, and his devices. And the devil is in every crevice and corner of our world. Not just in the garden. And TV and magazines and websites and Facebook and all social media. All of these platforms, all of these stages that can be used for good are often used for evil. And the devil is invisibly involved. Now you might laugh at that. But if you laugh, it's because you don't understand the nature of the invisible enemy. How many of you know Diane Abbott ain't laughing? You see how you can potentially lose your job because of 140 characters on Twitter. And some twits don't need 140 characters. And I'm actually 
talking about myself. That's why I'm, I try to be careful on that thing. You know, Diane Abbott, she said, white people love playing divide and rule. Now, it's, now I could probably put that up there. And probably, you know, some, some, maybe some of you would leave the church or, you know what I'm saying, send me an email or, you know what I mean? It's, the reverberations are not going to probably be that unless maybe in 10 years' time I became really, really, you know what I'm saying, an important figure and then they dig up my past and bring that up and then they murder me, right, with that. But someone like her making a statement like this, oh my gosh. Now, I'm not judging her because I think it can happen to any one of us, right? Very, very easily. And I don't know what she was thinking. It seems like just by reading the phrase, it seems like it had a little, kind of like a little, um, a little um, patois, like a little twang on it. So I don't know, maybe she was kind of chatting to her brethren, thinking, she wasn't thinking clearly. And it can happen to any one of us, right? Now, again, I'm not judging her. Rightly or wrongly, can you see how that stirred up a lot of, a lot of tension between blacks and whites? And you don't think the devil had his part in that? Perfectly timed just after the Stephen Lawrence case. You think the devil's only concerned about church stuff? No. He has an international agenda. And it's to destroy countries as well as communities, nations as well as nationalities, cities as well as churches, families, as well as individuals. Last week I talked about the breakdown of the family. Children, mothers, fathers. How many of you know it all starts and it ends with relationships? Now I know it's peacetime, but how many of you know a war is on? And any one of us can become a casualty at any time. And as, and as believers, we mustn't be ignorant in that regard. Pastor P reminded us of that when he did Ephesians 6, remember? Now, Adam and Eve have just been created. You have to remember, they're new to this. I mean, they're green, right? They're novices. But the devil, he ain't new to this. He's been around longer than Adam and Eve. They have no idea what they're dealing with. And the same often is true for us. How many of you know the devil is still around? 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, On that basis be sober-minded. Be watchful. See, because of this, individuals, and as I mentioned, families are being destroyed because we're not sober about this. It's a joke thing. I know because I come from a, a busted family and I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands, there'd be more of us here that have the same type of background. This is serious. The scripture says, be sober-minded be watchful. Sounds like 
It sounds like we need to be watchful. I think another translation says be alert. Why? Because we have an adversary. And he's the devil. And he prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. I mean, if you know, the devil is still around. And he's been around longer than you and he's been around longer than me. So let's be wise and see if we can humbly learn from the mistakes of others. You know, that's real wisdom. When you walk past... When you walk past the, it says in Proverbs, walk past the man's house and it was all overgrown and mash up and unpainted. Walk past it and he's like, oh, Bridget, you know, that's the lazy man's house. Oh, for real? Said that he learned wisdom from that. For, oh, mash up house, overgrown weeds, wrapped down, lazy. Oh, lazy equals that. Well, Maybe I better not try and be lazy. See, that's wisdom. That's looking at someone else and learning from their predicament, right? Let's be wise and humbly learn from the mistakes of others. Now, notice who the serpent comes to. Can you see it in the middle of verse 1? He said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Can you see the first thing that the devil wants to challenge? What's the first thing he comes at? The word of God. See that? His first line of attack is to deceive about what God has said. His first line of attack is to to deceive me and you... About what God has said. If you walk out here today. Without hearing what I just said. May God have mercy on your soul. Let's remind ourselves of what God actually did say. You can flick back if you want to. You can have a look at the screen. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 and 17. It says, and the Lord God commanded who? The man. Commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now would you agree agree with the comment that people often say, you know, I can't be a Christian because too many rules, too many restrictions. How about you? Have you believed that lie? See, that's not true when you look at the Eden story. Because how many rules does God give? Look at the text. Look at the screen. How many rules does God give? How much freedom does God give? God gives one rule... And much freedom. Let's not get it twisted. And rather than enjoy the wonderful array of good things that God gives. The devil will tempt you to focus on the one or two things that are forbidden. And if you focus on that thing too long. 
you end up not being able to resist it. See, let's focus on the vast array of good things that are permitted rather than the bad things that are prohibited. I mean, out of the multitude of trees in the garden, Eve had to be here. How foolish. Eve? Where are you? Well, I hope that you're not in that place that you ought not to be. Tempted to eat that which is forbidden. Because the devil's got you in a place where you're not appreciating all the, the manner of good things that he's given. But he's got you focused on that one thing that you can't have. Eve, where are you? Are you carefully taking heed to God's word and to yourself? Because that's the problem, isn't it? If you're where you're not supposed to be and the devil starts speaking sweet nothings in your ear, if you don't know what God has said, I mean, to be honest with you, you really should be running for your life at this point. Because if you really heard what God said, maybe you wouldn't be standing by the truth. By the tree of the forbidden fruit. A lie? Are you carefully taking heed to God's word and to yourself? So, we are clear from Genesis 2 verse 16 and 17 of what God clearly said. But, who did he say it to? Verse 16 says, God commanded the man... Therefore, from this we see that it was the man's responsibility to take that which God communicated to him, to his wife. I mean, Eve wasn't even made at this point. But God says it to the man and it's his responsibility to to share it with his wife. And in this sense, Adam is responsible for the communication of God's word. Can you see that, Eve? Fellas, did you hear that? Because remember, you're Adam, right? Adam, the man is responsible for the communication of God's word. Primarily, not exclusively, but primarily. Across the board, in the home, in the church, in the community. Primarily, not exclusively. And that's the position that we hold here at Calvary Chapel, South London. And Pastor E will say a little bit more about this on the 12th of February. Now, if you're male, you have a greater responsibility with regards to God's word. Whether you know it or not. That is whether you know the word of God or not. Or whether you know that you have the responsibility or not. See? But if you knew the word of God, then you would know that that's your responsibility. But if you don't know God's word, then you don't know that it's your responsibility. But you do now. You do now know that you are responsible primarily with regards to God's word. 
Now, either Adam didn't communicate this command clearly, or Eve wasn't paying attention. Either Adam was not communicating this clearly, or Eve wasn't paying attention. Eve, are you paying attention? Now, you know what? For some of you ladies in here, Eve, your husband is the one really that's responsible to be helping you in this area. Lord, help us as husbands. Lord Jesus, help us as husbands. Right? But if you're single and you're here, you'd be like, well, boy, I ain't got no husband. So where's my Adam? To some degree, we'd like to think that if you're a young lady, that would be your father. And that he would be responsible for you as a young woman. Can't remember. He's the one that's going to take you by the arm and walk you down the aisle and give your hand to someone else in marriage. You see that? Why? Because it's his, you're his responsibility up until that point. That's why the scripture says, husbands, it's your responsibility when you get married to do what? To leave and cleave. So, so much to say and so little time. It's your responsibility as a husband to leave your mother and your father. How many of you know if you're not ready to leave your mom and dad, you ain't ready to cleave? And until that point, which, which, which real father is going to hand over his daughter to that man? Like I said, there's a lot to be said about that. And we've got the whole year to deal with that. So I'm not going to try and eat the whole horse right now, eat the whole hog right now. But if you are single, my point is, and you haven't got a husband, and let's say you haven't got a father, or a, a godly father at that, then maybe Pastor Ephraim, Pastor Patrick, maybe they're the only voices that you hear in terms of leadership and those are the voices you need to heed. Because maybe they are being that father to you. So, so don't be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not married. And boy, you know what? I'm only 16. So and my dad ain't around. So well, if you're here, you're here by the grace of God. And this is one of God's access points of grace through which he's going to father you. So please, I encourage you to take heed. Listen as, as at least this Adam is speaking to that Eve. Ladies. <clears throat> I better take a drink before this one. <laughs> Ladies. If you're looking for a man, notice I ain't looking in no one's eye. Ladies, if you're looking for a man, which is not bad. If you're looking for a man, now you know what kind of man you need to be looking for. Pretty looks is not everything. Kiar is not everything. You want a man... Who listens carefully to God's word. 
Surely that needs to be said. And if you're single and you're a Christian and you know better, if you, if you get mixed up with a joker, you have no one to blame but yourself. Now typically, we don't want to take the blame. We want to shift the blame onto everything and everybody else, right? And we'll see that this is typical because Eve will do it in a minute. But not before her husband Adam does. Now, obviously I have to mention this. Then you may be a sister who got mixed up with that guy before you became a Christian. And if you are with a man who gives no attention to God's word, he, he's completely ignorant to God's word, and he's not interested in God's word, could I encourage you to pray for him? And I know you might be sitting there thinking, but you know, Pastor Rob, it's been a minute now that I've been doing that. Well, write his name on a piece of paper and drop it in the prayer box. You know, on a Tuesday night, Um, There's a prayer meeting at Pastor P's. And we've seen the Lord answer our bag of prayers on that Tuesday night prayer meeting. A lie. Drop his name on a piece of paper in the prayer box. And you know what I've been thinking recently? I mean really, really recently. Put his address on there too. So that we can go visit him. Like me and some of the boys. I'm I'm serious. I'm serious. And you know why I say that? Because I think a a real man appreciates another man. Being a man. That's why we love films like Gladiator and Braveheart. Yo. And films like 300. Listen. Have you not seen Warrior? Wow. Oh my gosh. It's about real men confronting real men. It's, it's, the film's beautiful. There's only one swear word, no sex scenes, and a lot of fighting. It's heavy. <laughs> Honest, you've got to watch that film when it comes out. It's beautiful. It's a, the, it's a beautiful film about forgiveness. Forgiveness on a next level. And that between men. Now I know if, going back to the whole thing about, you know, you're with a guy and... I know if a man stepped to me, at first I might not like it. But I appreciate honesty. And I think that most men do. Boys don't, but men do. That's what it says in Proverbs. You rebuke a, a, a wise man, and you know what? He ain't going to like it. And he'll be like, oh, how dare you? But he'll go away and he'll think about it and he'll come back and he goes, you know what, brethren? Yeah, you're you're kind of right still, you know what I mean? That's a wise man. Rebuke a fool and he will hate you. See, that's the difference between a, a, a man, a wise man and a fool, and I'd say a man and a, a young man that really doesn't have much understanding. Foolish in his understanding. But on average, you know, men don't talk too tough. I mean, they talk, but they don't really talk, 
right? Not on a deeper level. I heard a joke, right, by Ben Elton. <laughs> he says, he says, he said, men invented football because they don't have much to say to each other. And I think it's true. Come men don't really talk too tough. So may God help us men who have God's word speak to men who don't know God's word. And let's trust that he will use his word in a way that he has in the past, right? Powerfully. And lick down some men. Lovely. To their knees. In humility. Like he did many of us. Now, even though God's word was clear, it was clearly given to Adam, Eve is caught slipping, right? Eve is about to flop. There's evidently a problem. Now, is the problem with Adam or Eve? Is the problem with men or with women? Honestly, I think we both got issues. Adam and Eve are both on shaky ground. Eve is definitely about to drop the ball horribly, quickly, followed by Adam. And it could be argued that Adam actually drops the ball first. Watch. Look at how she responds to the serpent's question. I mean, remember, she shouldn't even be here with the devil having this conversation, right? Eve is here in the wrong place at the wrong time. Listen to what she says in verse 2. And a woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Now, Eve is still speaking. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what's the problem with her answer? It's not completely true, is it? Eve either wasn't, a pain, wasn't paying attention to Adam when he'd done devotions last night, right? Or she hasn't been reading her Bible, or she flat just doesn't care. See, does Eve not realize the implications of not listening carefully to what God has said? Eve is in the wrong place at the wrong time, talking to the wrong person and saying the wrong things. At this point, who is leading this newly established family? Is Adam leading? Is Eve leading? Or is the serpent, the devil, is Lucifer leading? Now, I didn't hear God say anything about handling the fruit. I mean, and notice it doesn't say apple. I I just mentioned that because we haven't taught Genesis yet, right? No apple. I suspect if you want to nail me down, I would would suggest it's probably a mango. (laughs) Because it's got to be something that's going to be appealing, right? And when mango's ripe, you can smell it like from a meter away. Don't quote me on that. Verse 3 says, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Now, when did God say that? He didn't say that. Here we see Eve commit a grave error. She thinks she is faithfully repeating what God said, but she isn't. She is actually adding to what God said. And look what God says later about this serious error in the book of Revelation. 
Revelation 22, verse 18 through 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now this verse obviously relates specifically to the book of Revelation, right? Taking words out and adding words to the book of Revelation, that's clear. But, book, but the book of Revelation is a part of God's word, isn't it? And I'm quite sure that God feels the same way about the rest of his word. And notice the reference here to the tree of life. Which relates directly to our story. Because it's the tree that they're not standing around. But it's in the garden. Don't add or take away from what God says. Rather than do that, shut your mouth. Don't, it's better that you don't say anything. Oh, if only I had obeyed that so many times. You know, James says, and this is one of the, one of the you hear this come up in marriage counseling. And if you're married and you ain't heard this, just put this one on the fridge. James says, be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. And be slow to get angry. Why? Because we often put it the other way around, right? We're slow to hear. I ain't trying to hear what you got to say. You need to listen to what I got to say. We're slow to hear. We're quick to get angry. Aren't we? And we're quick to speak. May God help us. The best, the better thing to do is just, just, just don't say nothing. I like in that instant. That's scary. Don't add to God's word. Don't take away from God's word. Eve, don't add anything to the word of God. But she does to her own detriment. And now the devil has got her. It's just a matter of time before she... Falls into his trap. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman. You're not going to die. Surely. You're not going to die. Blatantly contradicting what God said. Twisting God's word. Twisting God's truth. Do you think his tactics. His schemes. Do you think they've changed? Matthew chapter 4. Remember the devil came. Tempting Jesus with the same thing food food can make the greatest man fall you know watch it careful is it Proverbs says put a knife to your throat you know? <laughs> but he comes but he doesn't come tempted with fruit he comes tempting with bread this time and Jesus answered nah man shall not live by bread alone but by what not some of the words not not 80% of the words, every word that comes from God's mouth. Jesus is heavy. The, the devil picked the wrong person to meddle with today. And the devil's like, what? It's like, who's this trying to test me? Are you trying to test me? You don't test me. I do the testing right here. Right? And then what does he do? He uses his age-old devices. 
his age-old schemes and tactics. And he says, in Matthew chapter 4, right? So it says, then the devil took him, the devil's mad now, you know. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is all multidimensional. Verse 6, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Why? For it is written. Wait a minute. That shouldn't sound strange to us. Same old tactics. He's coming about to try and quote God's word. And it's, listen, the devil quotes scripture just like he did to Eve. And he quotes, where from? Psalm 91 verse 11. And he quotes it perfectly. And this is what's scary. He quotes it perfectly, but he quotes it out of context. And I tell you, he's sharp. I mean, this one would have got most of us. But not the Lord Jesus. And he says to him, look. He says, he will come. Go up on the temple. Throw yourself down. Because he will command us. God will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against us. Lest you strike your foot against the stone, right? That's what it says. And you'd be, if that was me, I'd be like, Remember. We ain't got time. Verse 7. Jesus said to him again. What did he say? Not like Eve coming out and God said this and wait a minute. I'm sure he said that and Jesus comes out clear and quotes specifically that it is written. What? A verse that goes straight to the heart of the issue. I mean this is amazing. He says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This answer that Jesus gives is groundbreaking and I, I don't have time to explain it. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to explain it in time for us to get to the rest. But what Jesus says is genius. You can check it out. If you meditate on that yourself. Now, oh my gosh, the devil's lost it now. I mean, Jesus has kicked the sword out of his hand. He's standing there with nothing in his hand to defend himself. And Jesus has gone up and put the gun right to his forehead. That's, that's the position the devil is in right now. And this probably has never happened to him. In the whole of human history. And watch. Jesus has him completely disarmed. And the devil will now show his true colors. Watch. Verse 8. Again. He doesn't give up, right? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you what? If you do that which really ultimately is what I desire. Fall down and worship me. Full colors. It's all coming out now. This is what he wanted from the beginning. Verse 10, and Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Why? For it is written. You know, the devil's religious. For it is written. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, you know what, you know what Paul calls Jesus? He calls Jesus, in another place he calls him, he calls him the second man. Think about that. 
There's been millions of men born between Adam and Jesus, but Paul calls Jesus the second man, the last Adam. Because there's, there's never been a man born since Adam that was anything like or as unique as Jesus who comes on the scene. And he's not just the second, it's not, it's not just the second man, he's, the, he's not just the second Adam, he's the last Adam. He's the last Adam. Because he's going to come and, and do what the first Adam never done, couldn't do. And we haven't got time, but as you go on into Genesis, into Genesis 3, you're going to see God actually give a promise right there when everything's messed up and the whole world has just gone skew if. God gives a promise that he's going to fix it. Right from there, God knew what he was about to do. Even prior to that, Jesus, the last Adam. Jesus says, you know what, this ain't about worshipping you. I actually come to show you that your time is up now. You're actually finished. It's not about worshipping you. You shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Now, now it, we see Jesus handle the devil, right? Now imagine the devil step into someone who has no knowledge. Actually, I should say it this way. Imagine the devil step into someone who isn't really clear about God's word. Have a bit of a, a tussle, right? But imagine the devil... Step into someone who has no knowledge of God. They're finished. It's hard enough for someone who knows a little bit about the word of God, right? To kind of fight a little bit. But if you don't know it, you're finished. Remember, it's coming for you. Make no mistake. The devil is a mercenary. That's where we get the modern colloquialism, Mark. He is the head of all murderous militia. And it comes from the same root that we get the word malice, malicious, malevolent. He is wicked, cunning, spiteful, hateful, unrational, devious and deceitful. And he's relentless. He won't stop. He don't sleep. He's like Terminator. And if you don't have weapons to resist him, you're finished. Jesus says in John chapter 8 verse 44, he says the devil is a murderer. And that from the beginning. Genesis. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The absolute opposite to what God said. To what God the father would say. Did you know that the devil is a father? John 8, 44 again says, is the, the devil is the father of all lies. And there are some men who are walking up and down Brixton who are just like their father. May God help us to reach out to them with the truth that combats the lies like he reached out into our lives. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. No, they won't. They'll actually be closed because you will become blind. You'll be like God. Be like God. 
She was already like God. The scripture says she was created in the image of God in the same way Adam was. He says you know the difference between good and evil. I would say she already knew what was evil. From God says do this and don't do that, you know. Why not just take him at his word? He knows better. Just listen to what he says, isn't it? She already knew what was evil because God had told her for his word, but now she was going to know by experience. She was going to know the consequences of evil. And at this point, here's my question again. Who is leading this family? Who the, 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 the woman is. But ultimately, the devil is. Which is what he wanted because... If he's leading the family, guess what? God isn't. And ultimately, guess who's being glorified as the woman leads? Ultimately, guess who's being worshipped as the woman leads? Satan, which is what he wants. Now, I know that needs to be nuanced because I know there are some ladies who are leading. They don't have an option. And I'm not speaking to you, ladies. You're doing the best you can with what you got. You ain't got a man around. But what happened to those who have? And he ain't even given a chance to lead. Because you're cleverer, you're smarter, you're sharper. And he's like, he's a donut. And he will sit there and do nothing. So if you don't lead, well, who's going to lead? Well, be careful. Be careful. When I went to Jamaica, I know my time's gone, right? When I went to Jamaica, I I was a man, I mean, talk about complementarianism and egalitarianism. The whole thing about women in leadership, like I said, Pastor, he's going to deal with this. When I went to Jamaica, I was like, man, these women pastors, not having it. Not having a bar of it. And if I go to any of these churches in Jamaica, I'm going to deal with it. And I tell you, God humbled me. Because I went into, some, in, into a number of churches. Mikey, bear, bear me witness, and Mikey P. And, and Will. And Neil. Went into some of these churches. And I tell you. There were 90% of those in attendance were female. And there were one and two men. I mean, one church we went in, the man was the pastor, but he weren't running the church. Sister so-and-so and sister so-and-so, they were. And I looked and I thought, Lord, this is not right. But I was humbled, you know why? Because I felt like, well, if these women weren't running these churches, there would be no churches. In some places. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying it's right. Because it's not. And we had, a, we had a conference with about ten of the pastors. I think seven of them were women. And we were there with them. And, and one of them threw up the question. Because we talked through Titus. 
And obviously the Lord affected our heart. We come there to really deal with the matter, but the Lord affected our hearts and the Lord is like, take time. And we did. And because the Lord helped us to be gracious, it never, they never stood up and stormed out. At the end, we had a discussion. And one of the ladies said, what are you trying to say then? I mean, I'm a woman pastor. Are you trying to say this is not right? And I said, sis, you know what? What it is, it's the exception to the rule. God is using it. But my advice to you would be, preach to the couple of them that are there. Encourage them. Build them up in God's word. And when they get to a point where they can take leadership, hand it over to them. So I'm saying, if you're a lady and you're running things in your house well, and you ain't got no option, praise God for that. Thank God for that. Thank God for you. Many of you are here with your kids and your man's not here. Thank God for you. But at least you're leading in that sense. But again, I'm, I want to make quick reference to those who are henpecking their husbands. They're not doing what First Peter 3 says. And I'm saying, praying for their husbands and submitting to their husbands. So, so much to say. <laughs> See, but we have to appreciate that when the man is in the house, you've got to, met, you've got to let the man lead. You've got to be like Sarah, it says in Peter. You know what I mean? Respect your husband. And you know, you know how it goes. Even if you suggest something, make, it, make him feel like it's his idea. It's all good. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? That's all right. I mean, you see the story of Abraham, right, and Sarah. Remember, Sarah tried to set pace. Oh, you're gonna, we're going to have a son. Hmm, how are we going to do this? And she's a typical woman, isn't it, right? She can work them things out. I'm like, I'm like oh, I've got, I got to go to Brixton today, and then I've got to go check this. And then I've got to phone this. And I'm sitting there figuring, all right, how am I going to do Let me write it down. Then maybe I can figure and shuffle it. And I say, to my, I say, honey, you know, I'm thinking about this. You go like this. You need to do this, 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 and this. Boom. And I'm like, how did you figure that out? So she's, oh, she's gone to do something else now. And I will sit down there for 10 minutes. And I will come to the conclusion that she made, gave me 10 minutes ago. I could have saved myself some time. Sharp! And Sarah's like, okay, I know exactly what we need to do. We need to get Hagar, our handmaid. You need to sleep with her. Then we'll have a son. There you go. That's what you need to do. Now get on with it, Abraham. And Abraham's like, okay. (laughs) Right? Ain't that true? Careful, Abraham. Careful, Adam. Sometimes your wife will give you advice and it will be absolutely on point. But you need to go check with you need to go check with the father first. You need to go and check with God that that's right. And, he, and the Lord might say, <laughs> she's absolutely right, go for it. But then there's time to the Lord say, hold up. It sounds good. But you sleeping with Hagar, you know, God never spoke to, to, to Abraham for, for, for 15 years because of that issue. And then when God turns up, oh my gosh, it's hard. Abraham, walk before me uprightly. I am the God. Listen, God goes in on Abraham. And he says, this time next year, you will have a son. And it will come from your own loins. And it will be through Sarah. Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed. And God said, why are you laughing? Sarah said, I never laughed. He says, yes, you did. (laughs) See, God knows how to deal with Sarah. 
God knows how to deal with Eve. God knows how to deal with you, ladies. Just let him. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then you see, you see, you see, you see Sarah give Abraham some more advice a little bit later. I know my time done in it. Abraham, Abraham gets advice from his wife a little bit later. And, and Sarah says to him, you know what? You see this Hagar? Get her out of my house. Abraham's like, what? Wait a minute. Ain't this the same Hagar that you took? Get her out of my house, sir. And Abraham's like, no. And at least he stops and he's thinking about it this time. And then God nudges him and says, you know what, fam? The first time, she blew it. But this time, she's absolutely right. Get Hagar out of your house. Because your seed will not come through your son, through Hagar, Ishmael. The promise is going to come through your son, Isaac. And she was absolutely... That's what, fellas, I'd be like, Adam. I'd be like, like, I should have done that the other way around. Should have been like, Abraham. Adam. Fellas. May God help us. It's hard, you know. It, you know it, sometimes, you know, as men, we want to stomp our feet and chat about, you know what, I'm the head of the house and... Yeah? Really? Do you, know, do you know what that means? You know, if you really knew what that... If I really knew what that means, I wouldn't be stomping around chatting about I'm the head of the house. Because if I'm the head of the house, I should be following Christ and leading humbly. Jesus says, I come to serve, not to be served. Chatting about you're the head of the house... So, Satan's leading this house because Eve is leading. Which is what the devil always wanted. Because remember, that's why he got kicked out of heaven, right? Because he wanted to, he wanted to lead. He wanted to, he wanted, just like he said, to, he wanted to be worshipped. That's what he wanted. Verse 6, as we finish. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. There's three things there. And we see a complete threefold parallel to what we saw in Jesus' temptation. Right? Good for food, delight to the eyes, and a tree that's desired to make one wise. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 70, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, or the, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passed away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God, and you have to know what it is in order to do the will of God, abides forever. Can you see the parallel? Now, wait a minute. I'm going to have to end on this, isn't it? Where's the man? Yo, where's, I mean, I asked two times who's leading. Yo, where's the man? What does the text say? He was with her. Can you see it? Not on the screen, but in your Bibles. It's verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. 
Yo, who's leading? Eve's leading. All this time, when he should have been leading, when he should have been, when, when he should have done something, all he did was stand there and do nothing. Now you know, you know there are sins of sins of commission, but there are also sins of omission. Now we know what the sins of commission are. We know the things that men get up to. The things that men do that they're not supposed to. Those are commissions, sins that we do, right? But then there are sins of omission. And this is so typical of of us as men. Because it's not so much the things that we do do, so often it's the things that we don't do. I'm saying I had that with both of my dads. My real dad who left at eight, and my stepdad who took over a little bit later. My real dad, my gosh, there's really not much to say about him. He was the first one. The sins of commission, literally, used to beat up my mum, punch her down the stairs, all that madness. He was, a, the, he was, he was the, the one who committed the sins, but then my, my stepdad, and both of them are dead now, my stepdad, he, he wasn't harsh and he wasn't violent. But you know what? He was absent while he was present. He's a man that just sit down and watch telly, watch sports. I'm not hating him. I thank God for him. At least he was there, but he was, he was absent in his presence. And my mom had to take the burden of everything. And that's, that's, that's our issue, isn't it, men? If we're honest. You know what I'm saying? Either we... we either we're loud and arrogant and full of rage and short-tempered. Or we're the absolute opposite. We just, just roll over. And we do nothing. Now, now is, is that not true about us as men? I know, I know and I feel it as a man. And it's, and it's the, we need help. Adam needs help. Who's leading? It's like, Adam, where are you? I'm saying, fellas, like men. Where, where are you? Where, where are we? Standing there. Standing there. She, she eats the fruit, turns around and gives it to him. He's standing there. He could, have, he could have done something about it. But he didn't. See, and, and that's why I said that Adam was more accountable because he could have stopped this. Edmund Burke in his writing, did I say I was coming to an end? Edmund Burke in his writing, and check it, thoughts on the cause of present discontents. This is what he was writing about. You know what he said? In order for, we all know it, we've heard it a million times. In order for evil to triumph, all it takes is for good men to do nothing. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband. Who's leading? He was with her and he ate. See, at this point, Adam's not leading. Not Adam. He's not the person that he should be. Who was appointed by God in honor and worship of God. Who's leading the family? 
Eve? See, have you usurped the role of the leader in the home? Snatching authority from Adam and therefore from God, giving it over to Satan. Eve, ladies, who's leading? Who's leading your family? Adam, fellas, who's leading your family? God or the devil? Let's commit this to the Lord. Father, we, I say we, Lord, I know that I've heard this message a number of times. And every time I hear it, Father, I'm challenged because it gets right, it cuts to the quick. It gets right to the heart, right to the heart of of me as a man. It gets right to the heart of my family, Lord God. It gets right to the heart of the church. Father, it goes right to the heart of of our society. And Lord, for for many of of the men, we're Adam. We put our hands up, Lord, and it's us. And if we're not abusing our position, we're neglecting it. Please help us, Father. Help us to stop looking to the father of lies. Help us to look to you. And you said, if we ask you for a fish, you won't give us a a snake, a serpent. If we ask you for bread, you won't give us a stone. You said, if you then being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more shall the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? And father, we ask, knowing that you're a good God, you are light, in you is no darkness at all. Would you please help us? Would you please help us as men to fulfill the call and the commission of leading? We're weak, Lord. We're incapable. We don't know what to do. But we're looking to you, Lord. And we thank you that you want to speak to us as men. You have a lot to say to us. Help us to incline our ear to listen. Incline our hearts toward heaven, oh God. And would you turn our hearts as fathers back to our children and and father would you help our wives lord would you help our wives i wonder which one of us needs the more help lord because i know we're as, as, as men we're hard to deal with would you help our wives lord not to have to be in a place where they have to take authority not to be in a place where they feel unprotected lord and unprovided for lord would you help us as men And would you help our ladies, Lord, to feel secure in marriage. And even if they don't, that they'd find their security in you. And they'd be able to stand, even in difficult circumstances, Lord God. Would you help us? Father, would you help us? Because we want to be a healthy we want to be a healthy church. But Lord, we know that in order for us to be a healthy church, we've got to be health, we've got to have healthy families, Lord. 
So many, of, so many of our families are busted, Lord. Lord, if we want to have healthy families, Lord, we have to be healthy individuals. Would you help us? And Lord, for those who are in situations that happened before they even began, came to know you, Lord, thank you that your, your, your arm is not short. Ain't nothing, with man it's impossible, but with you all things are possible. Would you work, Lord, in those relationships where the devil's just wrought distraction? Lord, would you, would you turn ashes into beauty, Lord? Would you, would, you, would, you, would you bring streams in the desert, Lord? Would you work in our families, Lord God? Would you work in us as a family? Father, would you rebuke the devil? Would you rebuke the devil? Because, Lord, you are the one who can bind the strong man. Lord, we're not clever enough. We're not smart enough, Lord. We ain't been around enough. Apart from you, Lord, we're finished. Lord, please deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom power and the glory and it needs to go to you because it's yours order us structure us Lord in order that you will be glorified let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven for Jesus sake